Hi everyone, welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR Works. I guess um, engagement's really an issue for most of our listeners, especially because evidence suggests that engagement leads to increased productivity and profits. But engagement can be um, somewhat elusive. You know, just what do you do to get your employees engaged? So to give us some perspective and uh, advice, we've asked the co-founders of local industries to join us today. Neil Bedwell and Andrew Osterday often describe themselves as reformed marketers. They learned their craft over the last 15 years at agencies and brands in both the U.S. and Europe. Their experience at Coca-Cola navigating internal cultural barriers was the catalyst for the creation of local industries. The company is a change marketing consultancy. Put simply, they apply consumer-grade marketing expertise to drive real cultural change inside organizations by focusing on their most important asset, people. Neil and Andrew, welcome to HR Works. Hey, Steve. Good to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Steve. So I think I'm quoting you, human contentment at work is the wicked business problem of our generation. Um, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I think, well, all of us on uh, on this podcast this morning and uh, everyone listening, we've all uh, had jobs we didn't like. Um, 70% of people right now in work are pretty unhappy with the job that they're doing. So think about that. Um, not in terms of just the, the human uh, cost of that, the emotional cost of that. It's kind of sad that people are unhappy. But think about the, the uh, products and services that those people are creating. The, uh, the call center operators, the, um, the gate agents in an airport, the truck drivers, um, all of, all good people doing, uh, good, meaningful work, but not that, uh, engaged or happy about, um, the company they're working for or the way in which they're asked to go about their job. That affects the quality of the service that the customer and the end user receives. That affects the quality of the product that gets made, not intentionally, but just um, sort of a natural drop in quality because I just don't care as much as maybe I should. And if you compound all of that lack of engagement, that lack of happiness, that lack of of, of care and craft, what you get is um, an almost unimaginable cost to or waste or lost business based on the uh, the reduction in quality of product or service. So that's why we think it's it's a, prob- a, a wicked business problem, a generational business problem. And the reason it's still a problem is we don't know that anyone has a real solid solution to it. Um, right now, I think it's more of a question uh, in search of an answer. Okay, well, <clears throat> how is it that uh, that we know that uh, engagement really matters? What sort of evidence is there that it makes a difference? So, 
the evidence right now, um, I think, comes from uh, maybe two camps. Let's first start with leaders. Um, if you ask most CEOs, I think something like 80% of, of CEOs today would tell you that um, employee engagement is a key driver of performance. They will tell you that it matters. Uh, they'll also tell you, half of them at least, that they don't think that their engagement efforts are working. So they know it matters, but uh, they know that what they're doing is not enough. It's kind of, if you take fitness, uh, I know going to the gym matters. I'm just not going to, gym, to the gym that much um, or as much as I should. Uh, the other side of it is those handful of uh, businesses that get it right. If you look at some of the modern disruptors of various different industries, Netflix is a great example. They have high engagement. They have high productivity. They have high growth. Um, the businesses that we tend to be looking at are the ones being disrupted rather than those those doing that and leading the disruption. Well, that's helpful. But now, um, if it's so clear that engagement is critical, then uh, why can't we seem to fix it? Why can't we seem to get people engaged? Well, the we think the problem is that um, there are we, we treat people differently depending on where they are. Um, and I'll, I'll boil this down very simply. If you are a consumer, buyer of something, we spend uh, as marketers and as, as um, you know, as those on the inside of a business, we spend an inordinate amount of time and money trying to get to know you, what moves you, what you, what you need, what you want, who you are. Um, and then we spend, we invest our time trying to make you care about us as opposed to uh, one of the other brands or products on offer. We spend a lot of time trying to make you care. Those same people also have jobs. They're employees as well as their consumers. And when we think about employees, we think about them differently. We know very little about employees compared to consumers. Um, we know that and the information we have is incredibly rational. We know uh, the job you do and how much money you earn and, and uh, how, how long you've worked there. Um, we don't know what you want or what you need. We don't know what drives you um, as an emotional human being. We don't know how, and we don't invest anything in making people care. The, uh, the, the reason we're not good at it, we believe, um, on the inside, is that we don't spend any time building belief and care the way that we do on the outside with consumers. I was just going to add to that, that um, I think that what we've seen over the last two years, three years as um, this idea of culture and um, employee engagement has become more and more written about and um, published about uh, the intent for leadership to want to address the problem that Neil is describing is there more and more often. We don't have to convince leadership that engaging employees is good for the bottom line uh, as much anymore. But that doesn't mean that they are equipped to to be storytellers. You know, the, uh, these are um, people who are experts in compensation and organizational structure and technology. They're not classically trained marketers. And they, um, even though they, it's easy to grasp some of those practices, um, it's just not something in their in their wheelhouse. So often we describe ourselves as a marketing department. 
for these HR and IT and, and C-level leaders that have a vision, have transformation in front of them, they just uh, uh, aren't experts in marketing yet. Um, so the intent is there, but I think the how is still what's missing. And, and we believe that taking that consumer-grade approach to engaging your employees in the same way that you would take an approach to selling a product to a consumer is, is kind of the secret. All right, well, you're starting to talk about marketing now, and your, uh, your solution seems to involve a marriage of marketing and HR. So could you talk more about how that works? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, you mentioned early up front that Neil and I were, we call ourselves reform marketers at times. We spent the vast majority of our career developing consumer campaigns and, and doing external, uh, external marketing and advertising. Um, and very early on, you, the, the good marketers learn that the only sustainable competitive advantage you can have is to know more about the consumer than anyone else. And if you really dig into who you're, who you're trying to meet needs for, who you're trying to provide services for, then, uh, and you can derive insights, true human insights, um, about what motivates them, then everything becomes a lot more obvious after that. The work is simply better. The, the creative is more meaningful and you're, you're providing more value back to the consumer. And the great marketers and advertisers out there know that. Um, when you're talking to employees, back to Neil's point earlier, it, there's, they're also people. It's no different. Uh, employees also have hopes and dreams and fears and, and motivations, rational and irrational. Um, and, uh, you know, that the practice of knowing more about your consumer, um, is, is what we like to apply on the inside and really knowing more about your employees instead of treating them as factory workers, um, or cogs in a wheel, um, treating them as human beings, individuals. And, and really crafting uh, experiences for them, this, the same care and detail that you would on the outside. Hey, I just want to add one, one thing as well about um, HR. The marketing team and the HR team in any business are the only two who are primarily responsible for caring about people. Marketing team cares about people on the outside. The HR team cares about people on the inside. The marriage of those two teams applying the, the same kinds of techniques that Andrew was just talking about is really powerful if you get it right. That actually we can, we can learn from each other in terms of how we build emotional engagement, how we, how we listen to people uh, in order to understand more about how to make them happy, uh, more about what they need, more about what they want and how we can deliver that. Um, the same thing works on the outside as the inside. So we actually see a future where marketing and HR come closer together, where HR will have marketing capability and where marketing teams are thinking about how the story they tell on the outside also is told on the inside so that uh, employees care as much about the way the brand is being positioned or a product is being launched as, the, as we hope the consumers will. That's great. You've, uh, 
you just led me into the next question because you have three burning questions that I that I wanted to pursue. And the first one is is how marketers and HR change management leaders, uh, along with the C-suites, uh, how can they partner better to drive more belief and adoption of their visions? Yeah. Well, uh, sh- sure. So um, I think uh, we both probably have something to say on this one. Um, I, that term change management, um, I think, is pretty well understood by people. And and that's still a very necessary part of any transformation, really blocking and tackling in the X's and O's of launching new technology, gr- uh, growing at with rapid speed, um, getting through an acquisition, all of these large transformation uh, programs that lots of businesses experience. I think the first thing that these leaders can do is, is consider change marketing, not just the management of the change, but really how do you communicate that change to everyone in the organization? That includes stakeholders, includes that middle layer of management that's often kind of caught in the middle, we call them the pressurized middle, and then the people on the front line. Um, and where we usually start in the process is talking to people. Uh, th- again, in the same way that you would approach a consumer campaign and learning and, um, and about your consumer, really getting to know everyone in the organization at every level of hierarchy and understanding what does this change mean to them? How does it help them grow? How does it help them impact the business? How does it help them better their relationships? rather than just looking at the transformation from the company side. Everyone is pretty clear about how the transformation is going to help the company. Maybe it drives revenue, cuts costs, um, builds capability. But uh, those three bullet points in the PowerPoint deck need to mean something for everybody at every stage in the organization. The only way to really do that is to talk to people. Yeah, I mean... And we, we see a whole lot of um, decisions being made without talking to people and without listening to people. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to say about this is we always, we always um, sort of fall back on a simple analogy that, that most folks can understand, which is um, when you're thinking about you're trying to create a healthier, happier employee, you're trying to create a healthier and happier company. Um, so, so look at fitness, healthy lifestyle as a simple model for this. What you have on one side is um, a personal trainer that wants to uh, get you to lift weights and, and run miles. And on the other side, you have a nutritionist that wants you to eat better. It works a whole lot better if you have those people talking to each other. Um, and your diet is matched to your exercise to give you a rounded lifestyle. Marketing and HR are like those two different sides of a healthy lifestyle. Um, how uh, to build that emotional happiness. And then how to create the environment and the processes and the um, uh, the culture to make um, it actually enjoyable to be at work. So I care about being at work and I can accomplish a lot of stuff at work because of the culture and the environment that's created led by HR. So the what we have to always try and remember is that to create this happy employee, it's not, it, it's a combination of those two things. And that there's no real forum for, for creating engagement and positive culture 
using the inputs that we have from you know marketing and HR. We'd like to see that change. Great, thank you. Now the next question, you know, specifically, you know, with your backgrounds, what what can we learn from consumer marketing to create a better measure of employee engagement? So that, there's a whole podcast in that one, Steve, alone, and I and I say that because we we spent our careers on the consumer side. Um, so I'm going to pick on two things. Um, and you've heard me say the word emotion a whole bunch of times, and it's kind of based on that. So um, without giving away sort of sources, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a stat here. Um, there is a large e-com, e-commerce, um, consumer-facing e-commerce business, not in the U.S., um, that has a database of over 600 million people, 600 million shoppers. Now, that's kind of impressive, but it's not as impressive as this next number. The average number of attributes, so different things that they know about each of those shoppers, is 11,000. They know 11,000 things about you and 11,000 things about me. So that isn't just um, what you bought and how much you spent, but it's behavioral. What time do you like to shop? Um, what, what things go together? How do you like your coffee? Um, what time do you like your coffee? Who do you like having your coffee with? Um, they know more about you than you know about yourself based on your behaviors. I, and then if we go back to um, thinking about employees, what do we know about employees? I asked a HR leader um, this question yesterday, and, and his response was, oh, about 30 things. So from 11,000 to 30. What we can learn from consumer marketing uh, first is that we need to know more about our audience. Um, some large uh, blue chip businesses have over 100,000 employees. That is a large audience. And not every person is the same. Not every truck driver in a logistics business is the same. Not every um, gate agent or um, uh, cabin crew or ground operations in a large airline is the same. Uh, so we need to know more about them from a, a psychographic and emotional standpoint rather than just from a rational functional standpoint. Um, the, there's a, right now a lot of data is gathered through employee surveys. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be involved in some way employee engagement surveys. They are good and valuable, but they only tell you one side of the story. Um, the rational, um, and sort of functional side that serves the company. We're interested in also building the other side of that, which is what is the, the behavioral, psychographic and emotional, um, drivers of employee health happiness and engagement so that's that's one side of it the other side of it is um how we communicate inside if you again look at consumer marketing i would say 60 percent and i'm i'm pulling this number from a piece of research that i can't recall the source of so don't quote me but around 60 percent of every marketing dollar spent is spent on brand advertising on every, every advertising dollar spent is spent on brand advertising. So that is getting people to care about the philosophy and purpose of your brand rather than communicating specific benefits for product. It's about making people care. I care. If I care and believe in the philosophy of Apple, I'm more likely to be interested in the next product that they, uh, that they release. So a lot of internal communication is very rational. It tells you what you need to do, when you need to do it, and where to log in or where to, or what, what meeting you need to attend. It mandates your involvement. You can't mandate 
belief or caring. You have to earn it. Um, brands know that on the outside. We think that um, businesses and probably led by HR leaders can add that that layer of belief building to their internal communication so that when you're launching a new piece of technology or you're um, you're communicating a new transformative vision, you're telling people why it matters to them and why they should care and building that, that belief before you tell people what they now need to do. So listening and learning more and knowing more and then starting every piece of, of uh, every new communication program with belief rather than just compliance. Right. And I'll add one more, maybe a little bit more tactical um you know, uh, advice from the consumer marketing world, and that's including the employees in the change. So often the change is happening to them. Um, to Neil's point, they don't know why it's happening. They don't really know what it means for them. It creates uncertainty. And um, some of the best consumer-led campaigns uh, invite consumers into the discussion. It's more of a community-led approach um, where a dialogue is created. There is there is inspiration and belief that has to be created. But right behind that is a strategy to ignite everybody uh, and to get them to help participate. Most, um, uh, most internal marketing efforts are very campaign-based. Uh, they uh, are, are around a very specific thing that the business wants a group of employees to do, like learn a new piece of the technology, for example. <clears throat> um, but uh, if if there was more attention spent to how you in, invite people into the, the conversation and get them to participate in that change, um, you're going to have a, a much better pickup rate, if you will. You're going to have people feeling like they were part of it. You're also going to have, uh, avoid a lot of the backlash of people saying, well, this is just something down, coming down the pipe from corporate again, especially when you have dispersed and remote workforces. Um, you know, being able to bring those people in and ask them to participate in a way and then connect them to each other. That's how you create a sustainable experience where, um, you begin to release ownership to the employees and because they're ultimately the ones who drive the culture you know the, the employees and the people there are the ones who really determine determine the cultural norms at a company what's acceptable what's not um and there's thousands of little nuances in that uh you have to involve them in creating the the, the new normal the vision that you have um otherwise it's too easy to reject it great those are three great points now, I'm wondering um, if somebody wants to pursue this, uh, what's the right level of investment uh, in employee marketing? Uh, how much is this going to cost? This is, um, this is the, I guess, the biggest unanswered question on this list for us. Um, if you take what a large blue chip brand would spend on its consumer marketing for a year, uh, and there are a number of brands where that, that number each year you know, is a B, not an M, that there are, um, you know, billion dollar a year budgets for global consumer marketing. And then remember the point we were discussing earlier that, you know, what's the, what's the actual cost of disengaged employees 
and the uh, and the detriment to service and product. If you could, if you try and and present your brand in its best light using all of that investment to consumers, but then their service or product is, experience isn't quite as good as the brand story led led you to believe because of the, of the impact of disengagement um, across the the employee base. Well, what's that worth? And what would you do to try and change that in order that your brand story and your your brand or product service product or service experience matched? You know, if you took a small percentage of your consumer budget and targeted a created messaging, created a program for your employees to make them feel part of the the, the developing brand rather than just kind of in service of it. That would improve the product. That would improve the service experience, and, and, and they would become also advocates. So, the the value of talking to that the employee audience the same way that you talk to the consumer audience and building that belief together, we think is huge. Now, the level, what, what percentage is it? Um, one, two, three, five percent of a of a of a um, consumer marketing budget would do an awful lot. And the reason that we know that those single digits are important is because we have a a, a, a light, a, you know, a, a small sense of what is currently spent on employee engagement, which is fractions of a point on the consumer budget. Um, the investment isn't just isn't there in terms of its um, in terms of size in comparison to the consumer marketing budget, and in comparison. To the value that it, that you get from engaged employees, so don't have a number for you, but know that it's probably 10x to 20x what normal uh, current traditional businesses are spending on engagement. All right. Well, that's a very helpful perspective, I think. Now, you say that you seek to create a new model for employee engagement, and it's based on happiness, health, and belief of its people. Can you fill us in on how that works? Yeah, I think it's everything we've been talking about. Um, that if we can create a um, a model for engagement that is uh, based on the emotional drivers of um, you know for humans rather than the rational drivers for businesses. So we um, we move from a focus on what you can do for the company and start to make that what the company can do for you, so that you can then perform at your best. For the company, um, we start to get a, a new way of thinking about how we how we engage with our uh, with our employee audience. We start to involve them, as Andrew was talking about, and start they start to feel like change and progress happens with them rather than to them. Um, we start to uh, we start to talk to them in and and show them that their work matters. And ultimately, you know, we probably under uh, the layers of research, there's, that's probably the biggest question that employees are asking of themselves when they turn up at work every day is, do I matter? Does any of this stuff matter? When I, when the, the job I do from the cubicle I sit in or the truck I drive or the desk that I, that I manage, does any of this stuff actually matter? And you can show people the impact of their work. You can show them how that um, that the work that they do actually helps real people on the outside um, enjoy something more, 
travel somewhere, um, you know, get hold of the things that they need. You know, if you think about a, uh, a truck driver for a logistics business, are they uh, simply just delivering packages or are they helping a single mum, a busy single mum, get the, um, the baby products she needs for her, for her newborn? You know, there's an emotional story in that that is not carried through in just how many packages you can get. What you're doing is delivering an, an, a, an essential service and helping people live their lives. So we feel like this, the, the model needs to change to an employee focus rather than a company focus based on this very simple premise um, that we've drawn for, and, and it's, it's been used sort of throughout my career anyway um, as a consumer marketer. Is if it's good for the company, but not good for the consumer, it's not good for the company, ultimately. And we want to say the same thing. If it's good for the company, but not for the employees, it's ultimately not good for the company because the company is its people. Well, that's great. I like that. Now, I, I gather your change marketing programs gravitate around three essential human motivations. That's growth, impact, and relationships. Can you give us some more detail around those three factors and the steps that you use to build belief around them? Sure, Steve. So um, I think we've hit on this before, but um, there's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast, um, driving in their car, and they're going to go show up at their office, and on their desk is a big, heavy PowerPoint that was very expensive and is very smart. And it's very good at talking about the vision or whatever the transformation that's being embarked on through the lens of the company, why it's good for the company, why it's good for the health of the company, for the, um, uh, the revenue and, and the profitability of the, of the company. Um, and that's all well and good. But when you go to start implementing the change, it's really the people on the front line that need to understand why the change is good for them. It's so critical that you make that leap from uh, the the plan and why it's good for the company to why it's good for the people. And so there's three there's three motivations behind happiness at work. Um, the first is growth. Um, and so being able to translate that company vision into practical ways for the employees to grow their skills, to grow their career, um, that's, a, that's essential for them to begin to believe the change. The next is um, impact. What is my, my ability uh, to deliver real positive impact uh, on the business, on my department, um, maybe maybe to the, to the world or for the greater good? Um, you know, does this change, do I believe that this change can help me impact the company more? And how, how will that happen? And then the third, the third motivation is all around relationships. Arguably the, the, the most important is the relationship between an employee and their direct manager. Um, and, and we really want people to understand how that change is going to help them and better their relationships, how it's going to help create more trust, more respect, maybe more transparent, transparency and accountability, um, between people. Um, so that they can have healthy relationships and, and work together more efficiently. Um, so the first way that we, we uh, address, you know, these, these motivations behind being happy at work and, and happy through the, the transformation 
is through storytelling and communication. Um, these people, um, whether they're at work or uh, on the outside as consumers, the best way for them to learn is through storytelling. Um, and so rather than just take the power of the bullets in the PowerPoint and throw them on a poster and pretend that um, that's good marketing, we really want to um, be able to, to wrap a narrative around the change, why it's happening, how it's going to affect them, how it's going to be good for them, and maybe some things that they may have to learn um, and how they're going to be helped through that process. That can all be done through through storytelling rather than just kind of stale um, technical emails that are just asking you to go log into the new thing. Um, we, we also do that through adoption, driving training, learning tools, processes, organizational design. So if the first step is belief, um, the next step is adoption, training you how to work the new way, how to use the new tool. Um, and, and what we find is a lot of companies start there. You know, they, they, they hire the agile coach or, <clears throat> excuse me, they purchase the tool, um, that should drive the efficiency and they skip over belief. Um, and so while you may have a, uh, educated workforce, you don't really have, um, uh, you, what you get is compliance. You don't really get true ownership. That being said, the, the employees that are being asked to change have to be taught and um, given resources to be able to function in that new normal. And then, and then finally, if you can drive belief and, and drive adoption, then the last piece is really about giving employees an opportunity to demonstrate that they are the, they've become experts in the new way. And, um, you know, there, we see companies where, uh, the belief is there and the training and the adoption is there, but then the employees are not given the opportunity. And instead of compliance, you have attrition, you have good people leaving. And so it's so, so important again, that they, you, the employees are invited into the process and then they are giving, given a stage in which they can, in front of their peers, present and demonstrate the new normal. And again, that's really the only way for transformation to become sustainable for, for employees to truly own the new normal rather than just complying with it, it is, is to give them the opportunity to leave. Well, those three, three steps uh, appeal to me as in a very thorough approach and be very effective. You um, have decided you're trying to put all of these ideas to work in your own organization, local industries, looking at it kind of as a proving ground for this philosophy of happier, more engaged people at work. And uh, the idea if you help people grow, then they in turn will help local industries grow. So I'm wondering how is that playing out? We talk about this stuff. We help our clients um, find these this more sort of emotional engagement for their through their employee programs. We have to live it out here every day. Um, so we set out quite intentionally uh, to build a culture which is based on um, on our people rather than our company. And to go one step further, to, to ask our every one of our team where it is that they want to go and to help them get them, get there, knowing that for almost all of them that means leaving us at some point. 
Um, I think gone are the days where you're looking at someone who's going to have a 20-year career with you. Um, our job is to help them uh, grow and then make their next best step. And, and during that growth, we, as, as local industries, benefit from their attention, their belief, from their passion um, in, in building better work for our clients. So uh, we have our team here now, uh, at least half of them have entrepreneurial ambition in the future. So we're helping them. Uh, we're helping them understand how you run a business. Um, in, alongside actually, you know, doing their their core role of the um, content strategist or program design or program management, um, we have uh, and and helping them with external courses, courses that maybe aren't um, uh, specifically re- relating to the work we do, but that help them grow and round their skills. Uh, we want to at some point set them on their way to their next step, to starting their own company, to, to, to you know, making that step forward and, and do it happily and have them look upon this experience as, as one of the sort of foundational growth um, you know, pillars of their, of their career. Um, right now, it's working great. We are um, able to attract uh, interesting, uh, smart people, uh, perhaps coming from larger businesses, because we can offer this uh, additional sort of cultural benefit. Um, as a small company, we can't always compete directly on, on salary. So our job is to, is to make sure that this is a uh, more fun, more engaging, better place to work and grow um, for, for these smart people as they, as they sort of travel through their career. So um, we can catch up in a year and I can let you know if it's, the, if it's still working. But right now we're, um, we're seeing really good results from sort of handing over the focus of our culture to our people rather than ourselves. Well, thanks. I, I suspect that we have some listeners that are thinking, hmm, I wonder how I could get to work there at Local Industry. Well, hit us up at um, localindustries.com. We're always interested in meeting new people. <laughs> okay, great. To sum this all up, any final recommendations for companies that want to work on their engagement? Yeah, I, I um, there's there's... One, and you've heard us talk about it all the way through. Um, it, no matter what you're trying to do, you're setting out to uh, communicate something, uh, and, and oftentimes that thing is change. Um, it is a, it is you know changing the way that people work, changing the way that the company's structured, changing the tools that com- that people use. Whenever you're setting out to tell that story, make sure you know why, why it matters to the employees, not just why it matters to the company, how it helps them, how it helps them grow, how it helps them see the impact of their work, how it builds those relationships. Make sure they know why. If you can tell them why and, and, and it meets it, and know, know enough about them to make sure that you're doing that authentically and, 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 and genuinely, then you have a greater chance of making them care. And if they have, a, if, if you have a greater chance of making them care, you have a greater chance of the change that you are implementing actually working. Because change without the employee's involvement is uh, just a just words on a page, just just a voice on a stage. Um, it's a it's a mandate that uh, that you will, will never see full adoption unless people care. Uh, and I wanted to leave you with with this. Um, Humans are entirely irrational. Um, and, and, you know, if you look at yourself, 
the decisions we make are, are all emotionally led, even though if we then back them up with a lot of rational um, sort of information and, 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 and backup. Uh, but we make emotional decisions. And, and somebody told me this, which I think is absolutely true uh, and really demonstrates the, the, how irrational humans are. The two biggest things that people complain about in life are the way things are and change, which means they complain about everything. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for that. And uh, thanks for all of this. This has been great. Uh, Neil, Andrew. Appreciate your joining us today and providing all these helpful insights. It's been great, Steve. It's been really, really fun um, hanging out with you guys. Yeah, thanks, Steve, for having us. You're welcome. And maybe back in a year. <laughs> Let's do it. Listeners, let me know what HR work should cover next. Bruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. <laughs>